Hi, everyone. My name's Jeff. I'm uh, one of the other pastors here. And as Matt mentioned earlier, we're having a baptism this morning. And uh, over the last number of weeks, I've been meeting with Jacob and Christopher and talking about what baptism is and what it isn't. And uh, just hearing their own hearts and hearing them talk about their faith and their life. And so it's been such an encouragement to me. I love walking uh, with people on the uh, road to baptism because it's just so uh, cool to see how God has worked uh, through different families and through different experiences to produce faith in, in people's lives. And so um, I'm going to call them up. Uh, you guys can come up right now. Um, they're going to right now they're going to be giving their testimony, which is uh, really they are testifying to God's work in their life. And so you're going to hear that from both of them in just a minute. And then later on in the service, uh, kind of in the, in the back half, we're going to uh, bring them into the waters and that's where we're going to dunk them. So, um, um, so uh, I just, as, as I was thinking and working with them and, and hearing even about the, uh, the way that faith has been such an integral part of your family, I was reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is uh, verses 4 to 9, which is really this, uh, it became a prayer that the Israelites would, would recite often. But I'll just read it quickly. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And as I was hearing about um, just how faith has even been such a big part of your family and how you guys talk about these things and how you've been raised, I was just reminded of that. I feel like it's just a really cool example of a family raising um, children up in the faith to know and love God at even such a, a young age. So I'm uh, really excited to hear about God's work in your life, and I'll hand it over to you. Hi, I'm Jacob Wilms. I'm going to start off by telling you some details about my life. I'm 11 years old, turning 12 in October. I like playing music, drawing, and spending time with my friends and family. I have two siblings, Sadie and Christopher, a younger sister and older brother. I'm the middle child. I'm the cream inside of the Oreo cookie, which some people think is the best part. Some details about my spiritual life are that I invited Jesus into my heart when I was four years old. My dad recently got me started reading the Bible daily in November 2018. I've been a Christ follower all of my life. Some of the significant moments that come to mind when I reflect on my relationship with God are when I invited God into my heart and when I have felt God's love at Camp Crossroads during the worship time in chapel. I have known that I needed a Savior all of my life. I know that when I rely on my own strength, I don't make the right decisions and I'm not at peace with myself. Instead, I need to take a leap of faith and put my life in God's hands. I do that by praying and reading the Bible. I came to put my faith in Jesus when reading about the miracles that he performed. For example, I think that it's really cool that he turned water into wine, and one of the stories that I like is when Jesus heals the lame man. Some of the people who are influential in my spiritual life are my dad and mom, my oma and opa, and some of my relatives, especially my great-aunt Linda and my grandma, who participate in the devotional Bible reading that I do online. My Oma and Opa are important in my spiritual life because every year they bring the three of us Bibles 
or Bible stories from their trips down south. My parents got us started on reading the Bible daily. The difference that Jesus is making in my life today is that when I am in need, my first instinct is to pray. One of the ways that I have seen my life start to change as I surrender my life to Jesus is that I listen to Jesus and what he wants for me. Some of the ways that I have experienced God's faithfulness and goodness is through all of the things that he has blessed me with, like good health, family, good friends, and opportunities. I decided to get baptized because I love God and I want people to know that. So here I am. A Bible verse that God has used in my life is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside the still water. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear not, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Lastly, I would like to share a quote from a devotional called Streak's Prayer by Christ's Church of the Valley. It goes like this. Something amazing happens the more we spend regular time in prayer. We are changed. Something deep down within us starts to shift, and our whole outlook and the way we handle situations starts to transform. In conclusion, I hope that you enjoyed hearing my testimony and if you have not taken the step to follow him, that you would be inspired to. Thank you. Hi, my name is Christopher Wilms. I'm 13 years old and I've been a Christian all my life. I've grown up in a Christian family that loves God. One moment that comes to mind when I think about my relationship with God was when on my fifth birthday my parents sat down with me and explained what it means to invite Jesus into my life. And then I made that decision that day. Even though I was young, I remember exactly what happened. And I remember praying for Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've realized that I needed a Savior when I thought about all the sin in my life and all the sin in the world. But it's also given me a peace of mind when I realized that Jesus has saved us from our sin. I've been reading the Bible every night and doing devotionals with my family. I've been finding it easier to trust God and be faithful to him when I spend time in his word. I've also noticed that when I don't read the Bible and don't spend as much time praying, it's harder to trust God and put my faith in him. The difference that Jesus is making in my life today is whenever I'm struggling with something or worried, I can trust that Jesus is there for me and it gives me more confidence. It makes me feel calmer and less worried that I know Jesus is right there. Jesus is also making me more interested in the Bible and reading it gives me a peace, a sense of peace and comfort. Some ways I've experienced God's faithfulness is goodness. It's when I went to overflow of the spring in this year, which is a youth conference in Waterloo. When I was there, I experienced God's power and love during the worship, when everyone was singing along with passion. And I've had a very strong sense that God is there with us. I've decided to get baptized today because I want to grow and deepen my relationship with God. Since I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior, I want to take the next step to declare my faith. One verse that God has used in my life is Isaiah 41, verse 10. So, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Thank you. As a church this summer, we've been privileged to hear different voices, and so we're in a teaching series this summer called Voices from the Church, and we've been introducing people from Cornerstone, people from outside of Cornerstone, people who've been connected to Cornerstone in different ways, and I am privileged to present to you Mr. Eduardo Heinrichs. You're loved. And... uh, Ed has been a former pastor here at Cornerstone Community Church. He also served as the director of the Spiritual Life Department at Eden High School for many years. And most recently, he's been the executive director at Camp Crossroads and is now in a season of transition. And so many of us have been thoughtful and praying for you in that. Personally, I'd just love to share. I'd like, like to personally commend. I've done this now. This is the second time I'll personally commend somebody to you. But Ed has been so meaningful in my own life. As uh, When I came back to Jesus here at Cornerstone Church, this is close to 20 years ago now, Ed uh, was serving here on staff and his beautiful wife, Cheryl, at the time, and they invited me into leadership in different ways here. They mentored me. They poured into me. And they, they let me go. Uh, out west to learn more and so I, I just thank you for being who who you were in following christ you taught me to follow christ and follow jesus and i'm so thankful for your impact in my life ed also has a very lovely mother-in-law who is such a valuable member of our church now i'm just trying to get brownie points with mrs bartell so ed why don't you come up love to pray for you and then uh and then you, it's yours. The stage is yours. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Ed. We thank you for what he means to this converse, congregation. We thank you so much for the leadership gift that you've poured into him, that he continues to, to fan into flame. Lord, we thank you that you have molded him and shaped him into the kind of person who continues to make disciples We thank you that the gospel is so ready on his heart, that it's on his lips, that his feet are fitted, ready to take it wherever you have him take it. And so we are thrilled that he's here to share your good news with us this morning. We pray that you would speak to him. We want to hear your voice through Ed this morning. And so our hearts are humbled before you as he shares your story with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for those uh, kind words. Highlight of my life was spending that time. We called it life on life. It was uh, just inordinate amount of time spent together, just walking out life and learning who Jesus is in that process, and getting to know the Unruh family as part of that was a, was a blessing as well. Man, it's good to be here this morning. I gotta admit, it feels a little bit weird. You moved. You leave for six years and suddenly you up and move, but we found you. And here we are this morning. Quite a number of changes and good things are, are happening. Yeah, so Ed's at an intersection. I think that's what the bio said, because I wrote it. And uh, Jeremiah 6, thanks Matt, Jeremiah 6.16 has been the theme verse for Cheryl and I. We started full-time ministry uh, back in 1996 when we moved to Niagara to join the staff at Eden and to be part-time at Cornerstone 
when Cornerstone was just a fledgling church. And since then, we've transitioned fairly rapidly between ministries because the opportunities and the callings came. Somebody accused me of having a career ADHD once. I don't have that. I, I didn't accuse myself, man. It was somebody else, but I've quoted that person a number of times. I don't have that. I have a very clear calling on my life, and if you actually care, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. what, what that is so you can judge me accurately. But uh, it's part of the process, part of the journey that I'm on. So we are at this intersection, and Cheryl, who's got a lot of wisdom, said as we were processing the next chapter in our lives, she said, why not take a self-funded leave we're not independently wealthy by any stretch. That's, those are scary words. And to have your wife say them is like, wow, really? So that's what we're doing. And it's been a great season of actually taking Jeremiah 6.16 at its word. It says, when you stand at the crossroads, and it's ironic that we left Camp Crossroads, but when you stand at the intersection, look. Ask for the ancient ways. Walk in them, and you will find rest for your souls. How many of you want and need rest for your souls? There's a disease among us. It's eating away at the health of our souls because we're not taking the Word of God for what it says. And so we're doing this, and I'm I'm not setting us up as a paragon of virtue as I say that, but it's been so good. It's been so good. I'm still involved because I need that. And so I get the opportunity to uh, once a week spend time with a bunch of guys up at MBC, just south of Huntsville, Muskoka Bible Center. Great ministry if you ever get a chance to connect. Not as good as Crossroads, I have to say that, but still a great ministry. Don't quote me. Edit that out, whoever's running the thing. But no, it is a great ministry, and a bunch of guys get together, and we get to press in and have serious conversations. And uh, So it's been so good to do that. And I've got calluses. Abe Ween said, so, oh, you're working now. I actually am working with my hands, which is a lot of fun for a person up in Muskoka. We're helping to renovate and restore an old cottage on an island, so that's kind of fun too. But in the midst of that, really intentionally trying to hear from God. And so when Jeff emailed and said, would you share? And I think the intent of this uh, series is to hear what God has been speaking to people. And so Cheryl and I have been intentionally pressing into that. So it was tough to decide what to share based on where we've been living and what we've been hearing. So, yeah, our kids, uh, Nikki lives 20 minutes north of us in Gravenhurst. Uh, got a great church connection there, community of people. We see her a number of times a week, which is great. Josh is uh, Faroe Islands right now. For who knows? No, he's, he's there doing ministry, helping out a church in that area. He's been living in Iceland, working in a, in a ministry there, also studying. And uh, he's got a business going, so he just pops up in places like Kenya and June. And we just love tracking with him, and we're just so encouraged that they're walking with Jesus and wanting to pursue him in the midst of the journeys that they're on, which is fun. And if you're a parent, you get that. To watch your adult children is, is challenging, and it's encouraging as well, and they've been a blessing to us. So, yeah. Uh, part of what I have had the opportunity to do over the last number of years is to, to work on governance. And as soon as I say that word, some people's eyes glaze over and it's like, what is governance? Well, part of that relates to authority and how authority is delegated and how authority is um, measured 
and monitored so that the people that have authority are responsible for what they're doing. And our world desperately needs this. And so I want to share out of that space in in my own personal growth in the last little while. And I have revisited on multiple occasions Matthew chapter 28, which are the last words that Jesus spoke while he was physically present with the disciples here on planet Earth. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, I'm not doing PowerPoint for a reason. Um, just sometimes it's in a distraction. I, I didn't prepare for that. I've gone old school here with the whiteboard. So we're going to just put a couple of things. I'm visual. If I don't see it, I don't understand it. So some of you are probably visual learners and will appreciate this. And the rest of you are just going to press on anyway. So we'll just go on from there. So Matthew chapter 28, the last words that... Uh, that Jesus spoke to his disciples as he told them to go up onto the mountain and uh, that he would meet them there. And I've been encouraged by, by that text in a number of different ways, and it's challenged my thinking, and it's also pertinent to this morning because there was a baptism service, and we're going to see that that's mentioned there as well. So I'm going to start uh, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick it up at, at verse 16. Jesus has, um, actually, if you go back a little bit, Jesus has told them to go up to the mountain to meet with with him there. And then in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Remember, Jesus has died. He's risen again. They've seen him multiple times. And he's now calling them to take this journey. They have to go up a mountain. That takes some effort. Cheryl and I climbed the, uh, the mountain in Banff to go up to the tea house there. It takes effort to climb a hill. When gravity is trying to pull down all 200 pounds of you it takes work i don't know what these disciples weighed but they're putting effort and energy into what jesus is telling them to do they had to go to galilee they had to climb the mountain and then they see jesus and when they saw him they worshiped him that's the response that will come when you see the risen glorified jesus There is no other response every knee will bow every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord And so the disciples fall into that place. And then I find encouragement in a little phrase that I hadn't seen my whole life until about two, two and a half years ago. Some doubted. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus healed people. Jesus walked on water. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus performed miracles. And the greatest one, he rises from the dead. They see him. He's, they've touched his wounds. They see him and they doubt. I live with doubt. Weekly doubts. Monthly, bigger doubts. Annually, a crisis. It's okay. Because look at what Jesus does. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them. He walks right past their doubt. He comes at them. He knows the doubts that are there. And he comes right at them. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is loaded with meaning. So, in the beginning, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that's Jesus, that's John chapter 1. And Genesis tells us, in the beginning, God created everything. That's really key to our understanding of everything. If you've got a different starting point, I challenge you to try to make sense of life, removing that, because you are left to your own 
resources. You now have to figure out the universe based on who you are. And that's a burden that is awfully heavy to bear. So here's an answer to many of the big questions in life. In the beginning, God. That's really important as well because as we read in Genesis, God says in the context of community, let us create. And so there's this creative process that happens as you've got God. The Who's in the back there? Can you see that? Martin, can you see that at your age? If you squint, if Sue tells you what's up here. So it says God the Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are at work and they say, let us create. And there's this release of energy and everything comes into existence. It's like it's been held back and it's this let us and it's a release. And I love that song, in the vapor of your breath, the planets form. That speaks of things just coming into being. Now, why is that significant? And why does the Gospel of John start with, in the beginning was the Word... And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And everything was created through the Logos, the Word of God, which is what the original Greek is. That's significant. God authors everything. He is the authority. Oh, you see the the word author in authority or authorized? God authors everything by speaking it, and it comes into existence. And then as you see the creation unfold... We know that the order of things kind of escalates. And on, this, on the uh, sixth day, God, God creates humankind. And he said, and it is very good. And God actually establishes an authority and delegates that authority very clearly and very dramatically to humanity. And it says in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, let's actually go there if you've got your Bibles uh, on your phone or in in real life. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So distinction from the rest of creation, because now we carry the image of God. And part of that is that we are co-creators with God. He created the male and female. That is the image of God together, male and female. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Listen to this word next. Rule over. There's the authorization. God very intentionally creates humanity to oversee all that is created, the created order. And he gives authority over to humanity to rule over and to subdue it. Not in the sense of pillaging creation, and taking advantage of everything that's there, but in the sense of stewarding and having authority over these things. That's really, really important. So why does Jesus, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, say all authority has been given to me? What has happened in the meantime? Well, we know in the garden there was a transaction between Satan and humanity, and something significant happened at that point. Because everything had been good. It had been under the authority of God, and then you've got... uh, creation here, which should be under man's authority, humanity's authority. But something happens when we turn our backs on God and break that relationship because authority is always relationally based. It is investing authority in someone and delegating and sending them out. So you've got this breaking and Satan comes along and he 
deceives humanity and you've got him establishing a rebel kingdom on planet earth. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, how do we know that? Well, if we go to Luke chapter, I'm kind of jumping around here. We're going to get back to Matthew chapter. Are you still with me? Who's still with me? Nod the guy, nudge the guy who's next to you if he's nodding off because uh, we'll want to be tracking with this. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter uh, 4, we've got the uh, temptation of Jesus and something happened. In the, in the midst of that temptation, a number of temptations, and each one are to, to draw out, if you will, Jesus' commitment and submission to God the Father as the ultimate in His authority in, in His life. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. I do what the Father's called me to do. And so in Luke chapter 4, Satan comes along, the rebel. He comes along and he takes Jesus to a high place, verse 5 of Luke chapter 4. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. How that happened, we don't know. Obviously, the, the physics of that. And he said to him, I will give you all their, here's that word again, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. That's the transaction that took place when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And the authority of this planet was handed over to Satan. Some heavy stuff here. Some really, really heavy stuff going on. All their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus' answer is significant because he doesn't debate that theological point with Satan. He doesn't say, hang on, Satan, it's not yours to give. That doesn't happen. Jesus presses past that and says, it is written, back to the word, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is pointing back in this order to the ultimate authority, the author of all things. And he says, no, he's the one that we worship, not you as the rebel king. So what happened between that temptation on that high place and the end of Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus says all authority in heaven and say it in heaven and on earth has been given to me there's a lot at work here in the gospel and it's not just as significant as personal salvation is it's about realms and kingdoms it's about the author and the authority of God at work in our lives and in this place called planet Earth. And we are agents. We are part of what God wants to do in this place in advancing His kingdom. heard a profound statement in, in one of our pastors. We attend a, a church in Aurelia. was speaking, and uh, he said, There are so many people in this world who want the kingdom of God without the king. The kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is water into wine. The kingdom of God is healing. The kingdom of God is people being fed, sight being restored. They want all of that, but they don't want the king. And I, for years, read when Jesus said, you know, the kingdom is at hand. I was thinking of all of that stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And that was often a a justification for a prosperity gospel. What it's talking about is, seek first the kingdom of God. You can't have the kingdom without the king. 
And that's where some of our left-leaning politicians are trying to establish a, a new world order of some description. And they want to reject God. You can't have the kingdom without the king because you can't separate those two things. It's the very presence of the king that makes the kingdom manifest and show up. That's Jesus. Amen? So we are agents of that. We are representatives of that. And that's what Jesus is unpacking here in Matthew 28 when when He talks to the disciples and says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Authority is always given. You've got elders in Cornerstone. Yes? Why are they elders? Who authorized them to be elders? The congregation. Are they self-appointed? The kingdom of God does not not work that way. Now, the elders then oversee and delegate authority to... Where's Jeff and and Matt and and Josh and uh, Kevin and Megan... Boyd. Ruddle. Yeah, you see how that happens. So there's this delegating in relationship and there's an accountability that needs to go along with that. And that's how the kingdom works. Authorized, delegate, and sent out to advance the kingdom in, in powerful ways. And so that, that's what is unfolding here. What time do I stop? I, I'm confused by all this time business here. 11 o'clock. Okay, so we better keep rolling because there's a bit of stuff to cover here. So you've, you've got the kingdom unfolding. You've got this, this rebel kingdom that has been set up. And this is well established. And there are a lot of different mountains or domains under that rebel kingdom that should rightfully actually be under the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we see some of this. And there's a, there's a caution here because uh, Satan has actually taken over some of the realms and domains that rightfully belong to God. Matt, I was, we were chatting before and talking about the mission statement for Yale University. Somebody grab your phone and Google the historic mission statement for Yale, and you'll be shocked to read what it says. It's something to the effect of equipping, and I think it's men because that was a different historical period, equipping men to know God and be able to make Him known. Something to that effect. I'm doing a terrible job. Yale University, go there today. Do you think you're going to find an an inkling of that kind of a mission in that place? What has happened? The usurper has moved in and taken over part of what was the kingdom of God, and you see mission drift happening, and it's now serving a completely different purpose. Excuse me, talking too much. Um, If you're heading off to Lauren, kinesiology, the enemies at work in that place. University is being railroaded and sidetracked into realms. So as you go in, as we go in as Christians, we're going in as agents of the rightful king into a dark domain. Are we equipped? Are we ready for that? Do we have the understanding of what, what's at work here and what's happening? And so there's an opportunity to see these things made right. When you go to work on Monday, when I go to work on Monday... Tuesday whenever I go to work. Depends what the boss tells me. I'm going there to represent the king and to then see his kingdom made manifest. We love where we're living. We've got great neighbors that are actually an answer to prayer. The place was empty for a while and we were praying about God send somebody to live into here and we just love being with them and they need to know our father and the kingdom can come into our neighborhood 
through us. That's our goal. That's our desire. That's our hope. We plead for that to happen. I'm sure you do as well. And that's what our lives should be about. And as Jesus was talking to the disciples, he told them, go therefore. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. When you see the word therefore, you should ask wherefore. Like what happened before the therefore. It's following something. And Jesus has just said, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see that relational connection there? So guess who's been given authority now? Hey, we're back. So through the work of Jesus on the cross, you now have a reestablishing of humanity as the recipients of the authority of God in this realm, planet Earth. Advancing and furthering the establishment of God's kingdom by our very presence. Because where we go as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit goes and the presence of God goes with us. That's powerful. He manifestly goes with you. He goes with me wherever I go. I love the challenge you guys presented this morning. Thank you. Those were luminescent testimonies. They were just shining bright. You guys should write a book on how to disciple your kids. You guys did a brilliant job. And the presence of Jesus in you goes with you where you go. All day long. Every day. There's a warning in the midst of that, though. That we can be co-opted very quickly back into the old domain that we feel pretty comfortable in. Paul talks about that in Romans. You know, you were in the kingdom of darkness, but now we're in the king. We've been transplanted by the work of Jesus into the kingdom of light, and sometimes we just want to crawl back. In my weaker moments, I just long to crawl back, and sometimes ashamedly go further than I should in that direction, and Jesus calls me back. So when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth, I'd, I'd invite you right now to do an inventory of your life and to think about that statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Can somebody please raise your hand and tell me one area of life that is not under the authority of Jesus? Okay, let's, let's make it nitty-gritty personal. Is there an area of your life that is not under the authority of Jesus if you follow, your, follow Jesus? If you would say this morning, I'm a Christ follower. Can you think of an area that is not under the authority of Jesus? As fully as it should be? As it should be? How about your wallet? Let's get really down and dusty here. Think of your MasterCard expenses. Is Jesus in those? Is it, are those under his authority? Attitudes, viewing habits, they're all under his authority and should be. So we need to guard against this flow back into a kingdom that we should not be involved in or be a part of, apart from being agents of light, representatives of the king in those places. Jesus, authority over everything. He establishes that. There's there's power simply in the name being declared. There's power in that, in the spiritual realm, absolutely. The presence of Jesus is powerful. In fact, you know, back when uh, 
God was uh, commissioning Moses to go in to see Pharaoh, uh, Moses said, Who should I say is sending me? What name shall I give them? Moses said to God, Suppose I say to them, The God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? And God gives Moses his name to be an agent, an authorized agent of God as he goes to engage Pharaoh and the Israelites and call them out of bondage and captivity. There's power in that. There's authority in that. And that's why, in fact, Scripture calls us to guard against using the name of God in vain. I thought that meant that people that say, oh my God, were sinning. And it's interesting as a side note, isn't it, that when people have some kind of one of those whoa moments, they say, oh my God. It's rather an interesting or telling moment. But it goes much deeper than that. I think there's a caution for preachers to not use the name of God in vain. See what I'm saying? Don't speak. Read Jeremiah where you've got these false prophets claiming to speak on behalf of God. That's using God's name in vain. This authority is a heavy thing. It comes up with a significant responsibility. And so we need to be careful not to take that lightly. Do not use the Lord's name. In other words, don't misrepresent His kingdom. Uh, Copyright is an example of this, I think. In our world, if I wrote a book, or drew a picture book maybe, I would have author authority over that. And if you were going to use it, you would need to credit me for that. If you didn't, you would be misrepresenting. And that's a violation. Try and do that in university. What are they going to do? You're gone. Even the world recognizes that authors have authority over their work. So that if you watch a video at home, you get that scary warning at the beginning. The FBI is watching you. And if you violate the copyright, SWAT teams will show up, climb through your windows, climb through your doors, snatch your people up and take them away. They, copyright is... A, and you know where that comes from? It's, it's a part of the theme throughout Scripture and throughout God's kingdom is that to author something as God did gives you the authority to do that. So this present world, we, we live in an absolutely beautiful place. We, we have the privilege of, of waking up and watching the sun rise over the trees and seeing mist come up off the river. It's just, it's life-giving. But I'm sometimes in those moments where it just seems like this is just so, or you land a five-pound bass and you're fighting that thing and you think it doesn't get any better than this, this world is in bondage to decay. Like this world is still in process of being redeemed and brought back. And we live in a world that is falling apart. But creation, Romans chapter 8 says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be... Diane? May, yes, revealed, shown. When Jesus shows up, people recognize who the rightful king is. So creation is in bondage to decay and corruption. And Jesus talked about the renewal of all things. But in the meantime, creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, we did, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated 
from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So that's when the rightful authority is in place. That's so important for us to understand. And so when Jesus comes and reveals the Father in physical form to the world, He begins to perform miracles in the Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and signs in John that all point to the fact that the true authority has now arrived on planet Earth. So what does He do? He drives out evil spirits and shows that He has authority even over the dark spiritual realm. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Powerful story where Jesus actually, after being at the synagogue, goes to to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and it says she was lying in bed, and Jesus goes into her room where she was sick. Think of the cultural awkwardness of this. My mother-in-law is sitting over there. I'm not going to make eye contact, but that would be an awkward moment. She was hoping I wouldn't say anything like this, but here we go. That's an awkward moment. And in that culture, especially where women and men were very separate, Jesus shows up and walks into her room while she's lying. I remember uh, uh, my father-in-law, Rudy Bartel, saying, when you preach, don't go two places, the bedroom or the bathroom, because you can't get people back out. I think that was the gist of it, because your minds are just there right now. You're picturing... I'm sorry. Over here, people, over here. Um... This is what's happening. Jesus walks into her room and heals her. The authority of Jesus is invasive. It does not care about your private, personal space. He wants to get into those places and restore you to the rightful place. If you've got brokenness, if I have brokenness, which I do in my life, I need the presence of Jesus to come into those to set me free and make me well. Isn't our world crying for this? Are we not rubbing shoulders with broken people who need to know they can be made well? And it's the presence of Jesus that brings that. What are we doing holding it back? Creation longs. I'm sorry, but this is the word. The authority of God. Creation longs for the children of God to be revealed. Because in that process, it's released from bondage to decay. That's powerful. That is power and authority at work. This undone, this reestablished fully. Can you picture it? Like, what will your week look like if you get to be a part of that? quote that I use often as I meet with the men is uh, some guy, Henry David Thoreau, said that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. The more people I get to know, the more I think that's true. And they're longing. They're longing to know there's hope beyond today. And we have a word. And that word is, the king has come. His kingdom can be established. The damage can be undone. I'm going to stop there. I got more. But uh, I wanted uh, you to hear a word from God. I hope you have. If I've simply spoken, you've just wasted about 40 minutes of your time. But if God has spoken, your life could be changed if you actually listen. 
I'm going to say one more thing. If you are self-aware enough to say that I'm a follower of Jesus, you need to get baptized. That's the step you need to take. If you're a follower of Jesus, keep submitting yourself to Him and watch Him show up. It's going to be awesome. God bless you guys. Thanks. I wasn't going to preach. I was just going to share. (laughs) Thank you, Ed. You did get your preacher on. I appreciate that. This is uh, our time of connection right now. So if you're a parent of young kids uh, and they are over in the Sunday school, please gather them. We're going to gather back for our to continue in worship through music and uh, baptism. So two or three minutes and we'll meet back here.